Hello, Nick here. Before we start, I just thought I'd mention that I'm actually speaking this week at Southwark Cathedral on Thursday, um, the something, 23rd, Thursday the 23rd at 6.30. Information's on their website, so do come along. Uh, I'm going to be speaking about Christmas. Joe is going to give me so much abuse for forgetting this. So, all change in the politics. Yes, the lovely, the lovely Suella. Suella Deville. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that's getting her muddled with somebody. Yes, she's yeah. gone. Uh, and David Cameron oh, is back. I don't understand. Why? How? Oh, I think it's rather lovely, isn't it? Because it shows however bad you were, there's always a second <laughs> chance. That's true. Isn't there? Grace is there for us all. <laughs> yeah, it's a really sort of Christian message. And you get you get a peerage thrown in uh, for good measure as well. <laughs> That's even better. Great. Well, why don't we start the podcast, Lord Page? I agree, Lord Davis. Uh, welcome, everybody, to episode 263 of the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. My name is Lord Nick of Page, <laughs> and uh, there... Is Baronet Davis. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Earl Joe of Davis. Um, yes. Where would you be Earl of? Actually, if you were given law, would you be Earl of Worthing? I think so, would you, yeah. Would you... Maybe Wessex, just to give it an oldie feel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think Wessex is already spoken for, <laughs> isn't it? Darn it. <laughs> that's one of the royal family of the Duke oh, of Wessex, I think. Yeah, I don't know whether I'd be, you know, because normally it's like where you were born and brought, ah. brought up, isn't it? It's like, you oh, yeah. know, but would I be Lord Watford? I don't really think I want to be Lord Watford. I'd be the no. Earl of Medway. <laughs> oh, that's quite, it sounds, that sounds quite doable, good. doesn't it? Yeah. Sounds better than Medway is, actually. <laughs> right, listen, now, before we go any further, you remember yes. Ken last week? Who could, Who forget? could forget? Ken? Uh, welcome Ken, by the way, especially. What do you mean, welcome, Ken? Well, now here's the thing. We had a lovely email from Ken, and Ken said this. No, he's still listening. Listen to the email. Dear Joe, he says, you were right. 261 was the first episode I listened to as it was recommended by a friend of my wife. You might want to review whether that's a friend, by the way, Ken. (laughs) He said, I very much enjoyed the interview, and as I said, I identified with it as I could have been one of Olivia's cases. In my early 20s, I was a candidate for the ministry of a very conservative theological church and attended a well-known Bible college in London. Hmm, wonder what that could be. Anyway, (laughs) he said, I was going through a personal crisis in my life as well as asking many questions of my beliefs. It all came to a head and I had something of a breakdown and resigned from the college. I had no support and the minister of our church threatened to take me outside and fight me when I told him I was not continuing the college. I know you want this to be a joke, but I fear it is not. He says, a brief summary of a long story. He said, that is why I wanted to hear more from Olivia. And then he said, sorry I was so blunt, but I returned to hear 262. Hugs from Ken. How about that then? Fantastic. Isn't that lovely? What a What a gracious, man. lovely man. Ken, I salute you and you're very much welcome to the Mid-Faith Crisis community and you stick around as long as you want to. We understand if it's only two episodes. We really do. But... Um, 
on the other hand, the drivel does tend to grow yes, on it, you. It can do, like a, rather like a nasty rash. <laughs> yes, or a fungus yeah. of some kind, a fungal infection. Ah, but the point really. is, Ken and everybody else, this episode is going to be worth listening to because there's less drivel and more action. There is, yeah, indeed. More content. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, do we have any sort of church notices? No, not really. Had, any news? Had a great kind? time with Type Sixes on Saturday. Thank you all of you who came along. Also, also, I spoke to mate Dave, and he said the spirit mm. of Jezebel would make a great artisan gin. Fantastic. Something I hadn't <laughs> thought of. We should be marketing it. I mean, Christmas is coming, and who doesn't want the spirit of Jezebel in their stocking? I mean, all those spirits would make <laughs> yes, very good. Names, wouldn't they? Spirit of Disobedience. That's going to be a whiskey of some kind, I think. So the point is, if there are any gin makers listening and would like to go into partnership with us to produce the spirit of Jezebel, do get in touch. Joe at midfaithcrisis.org. We'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, my friend, how are you doing? We'll be quick because we've got a big interview coming, but how are you? I'm I'm all right. Uh, I'm a little bit sort of I feel a little bit uh, lightheaded, but it could be because I haven't eaten much all day, and I'm now drinking a glass of ginger yes, wine. Yes, that'll be it. I think you're fine. You think? <laughs> could be. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. At the weekend, had a nice thing at the weekend. Um, we put up a summer house at my Did mother's. You? Is it because of it's summer? <laughs> well, I don't know quite why she needed it done in November. I'll be honest. Because I said to her, I said, well, you know what? Nothing says Christmas like putting up a summer house, does it? Right. (laughs) But anyway, but apart from that, I've had a very quiet week, really. And and yourself. Uh, Yeah, well, uh, okay. I'll just say my brother, uh, after a long time in hospital, has been uh, granted uh, the request to come home. So they're not treating him anymore. Mm. And he's in palliative care. So not so great. uh, Making plans, blah, 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 you know. It is what it is, but he's not good. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, uh, and I'm sure all our listeners, all 17 of them, will send yes. you a lot of love. Yes. Well, and, uh, thank you, anyone. Extra hugs. Anyone who does, thank you. Bless you. Um, yeah, but mm. okay, so we'll, we will move on. Um, we've got something great this week. Mm. We've got an interview, so tell us well, about it. I, I mean, there's no, there's no, you know... Long-winded way of saying this, I am interviewing the fabulous Baker Boy. It is Harry Baker, uh, literally my favourite poet of the moment. And, um, and uh, you know, I went to see him, as you may remember, a few weeks ago. I asked him if he'd do a podcast. Mm-hmm. He said he would, because that's the kind of lovely person he is. And uh, And so we set up the interview, and here it comes. Now, I will say... He's a performance poet, so you can't see him. And I got mm. to see all the hand gestures he do, his facial expressions, particularly in the first poem, Dinosaur Love, one of my favourites. You've got to see his face, really, <laughs> when he does <laughs> Dinosaur Love, particularly at one point. I won't spoil it, but, you know, so, yeah. But a lovely guy and just really interesting what he does, how he does it, just wonderful. So you're going to get four poems during this interview as well. So value for money, if ever there was. So there you go. Here's Joe interviewing uh, Harry Baker. 
So it really is a great privilege to welcome to the podcast, well, just currently my favourite poet, as it turns out. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Harry Baker. Harry, hello. <laughs> hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am so pleased uh, that you are here. I think I saw you just a few weeks back in yes. Worthing after your traumatic journey to us <laughs> by the wonderful Southern <laughs> Railway. But listen, it is so great to have you here. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Before we get going on the, uh, you know, why don't you give us a poem? I would love to. Uh, so this is my go-to poem, if I'm anywhere new, if I don't know how it's going to go, because I think it's a poem we can all get behind. And it's a love poem, but I wanted it to be cool. So I've put some dinosaurs in it for good measure. <laughs> I want to say, I love you, but it seems it's not enough. Because when people say, I love you, it can mean a lot of stuff like, I'll always have your back, or I'm glad I'm not alone, or to be honest, I'd say anything so you'll hang up the phone because I'm kind of in the middle of something right now. And these Doctor Who box sets ain't gonna watch themselves. I want to say, I love you, but it seems it's not enough because when people say, I love you, it can mean a lot of stuff. And what I'm really trying to say is, I want to love you like a T-Rex with a tiny brain, but a massive heart. And if I was a T-Rex, I could hold you in those T-Rex arms and put you from harm because that's dinosaur love. It's the way that you send spines down my spine like a stegosaurus or how just like dinosaurs. No one cares what came before us because I got that love so big. It cannot be ignored. Like if you were the dinosaur, everything else seems secondary. Dinosaurs are not mythical creatures. They are legendary. Plus they're just really cool. I mean, the thing with dinosaurs is dinosaurs are kind of awesome. More than that, they actually exist. It's just my love is real. I ain't talking blindly walking swings and such like Theseus. That's minotaur love when this is dinosaur love. This ain't no damsel in distress. Trap princess, dragon slaying, quest because one, dragons never happen to. Most women don't need rescuing. This is less prancing unicorns, more two-ton triceratops or terrifying pterodactyls tearing terror from above. It's dinosaur love. Molten rock and meteoric. Trust me, got a love so old school. It's prehistoric. So if you're into Spielberg or hip hop with a classic vibe, then we could watch Jurassic Park or listen to Jurassic 5. And if you like a bone, then I know a place so we could see them. I'm a lifetime member of the Natural History Museum. I want to say I love you, but that might be awkward. So instead, I have to that state in my head where it cannot go wrong. And if as time goes on, my dino love dies out as you'd expect when it's extinct, I'd rather that we remain friends than became exes. But if somehow, Against the odds, my dino love proves so colossal that it stands the test of time perfectly preserved like a fossil. Then one day, when you've been left in ruins, I need someone to help excavate through them. It would take an ugly expert to put you towards me. And at that point, I will point out, you're like a brachiosaurus. There's no one above you. Then I'll be able to look you in the eyes and say, <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you it's so hard there's not a crowd to whoop and applause now. a one person crowd is all i need <laughs> well you've got that thank that you. i can guarantee and at least 17 other listeners to be fair right. <laughs> it may be more we can't be sure. Anyway, listen, thank you so much. It's so so good to have you uh, on the show. Well, I mean, 
for those that don't know you, and I can't believe there's anyone left, but if if they don't, uh, what do we need to know about you? Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, so my name is Harry Baker. Yeah. I am a poet. I grew up in London and I now live down by the sea in Margate and I love it. Wonderful. And I studied maths at university and basically wrote poems as a way of putting off doing my maths homework. And then during that time, by the time I graduated, I realized that actually the poetry was where I felt like I came most alive. And I felt like, you know, three different people could do a math test and get the same results. Whereas if I didn't write love poems about dinosaurs, then who would? And, and that <laughs> felt important. And I think I felt like I could be my full self when I was writing and performing these poems. And so when I finished my course, I decided to try and go for it full time, whatever that looked like. And if it didn't work out, then I would go back to the maths. Uh, and very grateful that I've been able to do the poetry ever since. But the sort of added twist that I haven't expected is that when I was doing maths full time, I would do poetry for fun on the side. And now that I do poetry full time, I've started doing maths for fun on the side. Which <laughs> I think if you told me that when I was doing my yeah. degree, I would tell you that would never happen. But I think enough distance has passed. That I That's great. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's amazing. And, um, uh, you, you know, why, why do you think that has happened? What, why the love of poetry? Because it doesn't seem to me to be a natural bedfellow with maths somehow. And, you know, you've got to have a certain maths mind to do maths, haven't you? Or... Yes. I think the two most common comments I get, especially the, the tour I did before my last one was all around poetry and maths sort of explicitly. I turned 10,000 days old and I've made a whole big deal about it. And mm. the most common thing people said was either, oh, I'm not really a maths person or oh, I'm not really a poetry person. And we've got these yeah. kind of set ideas, but I yeah. think in sitting with both, and I used to be the same. I used to sort of say they were just two completely separate parts of my life. But I think there is a mathematical element to language and a playfulness to it. And especially when I started writing, it was through listening to music and hip hop. And I love the the playfulness of the lyrics. And a lot of that was the, the rhyming or the alliteration and the kind of quite technical aspects of it. And so I think mm. when I started writing, it was all around playing with words, seeing what was possible, trying to entertain those around me. But then it became a way for me to process all of my teenage angst and beyond. And, you know, whether I was happy or sad or angry or whatever, writing stuff down helped. But particularly it was having a space where I could share that and people could receive it. Because I think I was quite an awkward teenager, as a lot of people mm. were. But I think mm. finding my voice and finding a way of sharing it and feeling like that space could be held meant mm. suddenly I would write about things that felt really vulnerable but felt empowered to do that. And I think it initially came from the craft, but the thing that stuck with it is is the heart behind it. And I think what I love about poetry, whether it's writing it, performing it, or seeing other mm. people do it, is its capacity to hold that range of emotions. And you know, yeah. my, my favorite gigs I go to are ones where they can give you goosebumps and then they can make you laugh and then they can make you cry yeah. and they can take you on this whole journey, but without it, being apologetic but actually yeah. being a celebration of yeah no it's spirit. great I, I i think you can say things that other people can't say and you've earned that right by making us laugh and sure. at the last one actually you've only made me laugh until a few weeks ago where you did a poem that actually had me uh crying so um yeah i don't know should we do that one now what do you think yeah go on can we give that one a go mentions okay. yes and i think it's interesting because when i started writing it was 
a lot of it was at these events called poetry slams where you had yeah. three minutes to share your work and, very and cool <laughs> people in the audience would hold up a scorecard and basically vote for their favorite and it meant that you had to instantly grab people and looking back on it and that dinosaur poem is one of my earlier ones i mm. felt like you had to be a bit funny and then a bit clever and then you could be a bit meaningful at the end if you don't it but all of that kind of tightly packaged up whereas more recently i've got used to doing these you know hour-long shows that would take up to the edinburgh fringe and tour around the mm. country and it feels like there's mm. more space then to do something that is very silly and fun but also to do something that is gentler or more heartfelt that you wouldn't be able to do yeah in a competition like sure. that because you don't want to bear your soul and then be told that it's four out of ten by a stranger so i think <laughs> yeah, i get because it. i've had basically 10 years of practice of articulating mm. myself in the best way possible it means that you know now i'm in my early 30s and writing about very different things mm. to when i was in my early 20s or when i was a teenager and so I feel really grateful to be able to to do that and, and to share that. And so this this poem came out of that space. Um, and the fact that lots of my friends are having babies or trying to have babies, and it's just this this next chapter of life. And, and there is so mm. much joy in that space, but there is also nuance and complexity there that I wanted to try and capture as well. So this poem is simply called Trying. I have this friend who is trying to have a baby. Although trying might not quite be the right word. To begin with, it just meant more sex and counting, two of life's greatest things. Or as their partner put it, they were no longer trying not to have a baby, which becomes not wanting to plan anything more than nine months in advance, just in case, becomes making the most of this Christmas or summer as a two, because soon everything's going to change becomes two parallel realities coexisting the moment a period's late becomes focusing on doing the things they can no longer do if they when they do have a baby becomes if they do have a baby becomes as always next month becomes i guess we'll just have to keep having sex becomes feeling guilty about the one month they were relieved that hadn't happened they were just really looking forward to their friend's wedding in september becomes you wouldn't want them to be born around christmas anyway they just end up getting loads of joint presents. And who wants to have to compete with Jesus for attention? And it is trying. And they are trying. But trying suggests they could be trying harder. Suggests they are not trying hard enough. Suggests they are trying and failing. And some say it is insane to keep trying the same thing and expect different results, but they honestly don't know what else to do. At some point, trying becomes aching, becomes longing becomes praying and in some ways it is the ultimate act of faith maybe hope is the best word it often is because hope still comes with doubt i'm just hoping that their hope doesn't run out you see my friend is hoping to have a baby or they have perhaps isn't quite the right word in german one of my favorite verbs is machen it means to carry out to make or to do because it sounds the most like make my flatmate interchange the two leading to glorious turns of phrase such as, will we make party tonight? To which the only acceptable answer is, yeah. In English, you take a photo. In German, you make a photo. In English, you go on holiday. In German, you make a holiday. In English, you have indecision. In German, you don't. 
In English, when you finish work, you clock off or sign out. In German, you fire up and machen. Literal translation, make party even. As in you decide you are ready to transition from work to play. In English, you have fun. In German, you make fun. If was less concerned with ownership and more with creativity, as I think we all should be. What I'm saying is my friend isn't trying to take or have a baby. But I think they'd really like to make or machen ein baby. I have this friend who is hoping to make a baby. Although friend, it tends to not be the right word. More like friends. There is the friend who told me four years ago that they thought that now was their time. And then they hadn't mentioned it since, so I figured that maybe they'd just changed their mind. The friend whose partner isn't against it, but wants to wait before thinking of kids. And yet her body is different to his, so she is not sure she can live with that risk. The friend who takes folic acid tablets every day to help prep for her bones to be strong. When you've been trying to be strong for two years, you can only hold these things lightly for so long. Or the friend who would be such a brilliant mum, according to everybody that she knows. She just thought that she would have a partner by now and doesn't want to do this alone. Or the friends who both wanted kids for a while and both committed to try IVF, but had to spend £25,000 privately before they could apply to the NHS because they're both women. And that's the only way to prove that they are trying. But they are trying. They are all trying and aching and longing and praying. I have these friends who are hoping to make a baby. Although baby maybe isn't the right word. Because of course babies are cute in the way that kittens are cute. In the way that miniature bottles of shampoo are cute. But most of my friends that do have babies are exhausted. And having friends that do have babies is ideal because you get to have a cuddle and then give them back without the paralyzing fear of them discovering new ways to die or the fact that the only way they know how to communicate is to cry. And they've learned to scream at a specific pitch that cuts through to your soul. And you will learn is a growing list of things that you cannot control. And I get that it must come with waves of unconditional love, but it just seems relentless. And anyway, surely the best bit's the next bit. Because you are not just making a baby, but a child. And they have not only learned to walk and talk, but to run down the street chanting your name. And if you do anything they think is funny, they will ask you to do it again and again forever. And in any given moment, they would rather play than chat. I will be honest, I am 31 and I still feel like that. When you're at that age, they do not have fun. They make fun. Then I assume you muddle through the teenagers until one day they tell you they want to become a doctor so they can help people. And you will say that that sounds like a good idea. Then a few years later, they will tell you they've changed their mind. They want to switch from medicine to math so they have more time to write poems. And you will say, yeah, that actually sounds a lot better. And way more useful to society as a whole. And while you cannot possibly know how it turns out, you will still be there when they cry. And it will still cut through to your soul. You will have added to your list a thousand times over things that you cannot control. And there will come a time when you can no longer go wherever they go, but you know, as so long as you can watch them grow, you will still grow. And if they value creativity over ownership, or maybe try run a marathon every now and then, you will know some of that is down to you and you will make sure they know you are so proud of them. Because you're not just making a baby or a child, but a life. I have these friends who are hoping to make a life. 
and so am I. Which at this point maybe won't come as a surprise. I guess the giveaway was mentioning sex and counting in the same sentence. And yet out of all of the friends that I mentioned, almost all talked about it in passing. And only one of those friends is a guy. And I have messaged about it since asking, but for whatever reason, he doesn't reply, but I am trying to talk about it. I am trying to not get my hopes up, but I quite like getting my hopes up. When I hear somebody say that they are expecting a baby, but that's exactly what I've been doing for years now. And when people ask me if I do have kids, I say I've got three incredible nieces and three amazing godsons and one other godson. Or that having friends that do have babies is ideal because you get to have a cuddle and then give them back. But I would love to be the one you give them back to. And when friends do announce they are pregnant, I am genuinely thrilled for them. Except for the one couple who joked it was an accident because they weren't really trying when so many of us are trying. And I secretly hope their baby is born with weirdly big hands or something. But then I meet them and they are perfect. And I guess that's okay too. And I'm so grateful to the friends who knew what we were going through. And so we're sensitive with us in sharing their incredible news, especially the friend who four years ago said they thought now was their time because now is their time. Even it means that when I message, it takes a while to reply. But the best is the friend with the one-year-old. She obviously loves the bits. And yet she says that she cannot help wondering what her life will be like without kids. Oh, it must be nice. And it is. Grace says the hardest part is the not knowing. Being stuck in the in-between of now and might never come to be. And I know that right here, right now, I realize my life doesn't feel incomplete. And whichever reality that we end up in, I am so grateful that Grace is with me. And I still think I'd be a good dad. But I guess there's no way to know. At least I've made a head start on that list of things that I cannot control and when I cannot possibly know how it turns out. I have these friends and I have hope and I'm already making a life. Or at least I am trying. Thank you. Oh, Harry. Thank you. We'll just edit a pause in here. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, I've got a question. How on earth do you remember that many <laughs> words? I know everyone must ask you this question, but I'm genuinely gobsmacked. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. That poem feels very different to previous ones in that previous poems were roughly three or four minutes long and would have quite a lot of rhyming in them. So once you're in a section, that sort of carries you through. And the same way that I used to memorise my favorite songs growing up that it gets into your bones almost. So you don't have to think about it. Whereas that poem is less rhymy and is much longer. And I know mm. the five sections, but it feels mm. like because it's newer as well, there's a lot mm. more concentration yeah. that goes on to try and remember sure. it. But I think for me, pretty much everything I write is with an aim to share it out loud with people. And I mm. think to do that to the best of my ability. I love trying to learn my poems so that when I am sharing them, all I'm thinking about is, is whoever's in front of me or whoever's right. taking it in right. rather than 
you know, when I first started, I was so nervous. I would hold a piece yeah. of paper in front of my face and people wouldn't be able to see me and I'd brace through it. <laughs> and I know people who are paralyzed by the idea of mm. having to remember their poems. So for them, it is better to yeah. read it off a piece of paper and it depends on the individual. Yeah. But for me, I've always loved trying to minimize whatever barriers yeah, sure. there are between you and the audience, yeah. whether that is a physical book or piece of paper or a kind of mental yeah. thing. What's, what's interesting for me is you are a performance poet, and so you're always using your hands. And though people can't see this interview, you are using your hands all the time yeah. <laughs> when you're reciting a poem and also when you're talking to me. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to know how it comes across. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also, sure people I don't know how know. The, the dinosaur noise sounds with no context. When I perform it yeah. live, I, I do the dinosaur arms and everything, whereas it might just sound yeah. like the recording equipment and that would surprise no one you mentioned grace at the end of that poem who who is he let's just (laughs) let's just cut to the heart of it uh well so grace is is my wife's name yeah um and so that poem again that poem feels different for lots of reasons but one is that normally if I'm writing about something, it is after it has happened. And mm. so whether it is mm. school bullying or family illness or, you know, personal mental health lows, mm. I will write mm. about it, having come through it, looking back on it as as a point of mm. reflection and often trying to find some, some yeah. light in the darkness or some sort of wisdom yeah. that comes with hindsight or, or some kind yeah. of hope. And so, so this poem is the first one that I've shared while I'm in it. And mm. and and it's not just me, it, it is me and Grace together. Mm. And so, so it came out of a lot of conversations we had about the fact that it isn't something people talk about. Mm. And actually the, the conversations we've had with friends both before mm. and after sharing this have been massively helpful just to feel like you're not alone mm. in it. And so a few people after a gig would, especially if, if Grace is there, would come up mm. to her and be like, oh, did you know he was gonna mm. do that? And she would sort of say, well, obviously he's not going to do that without consulting me mm. and so i think yeah you know i'm very aware of trying to to give my experience and tell my mm. story in a way that feels as, as honest as possible but i'm also aware yeah that it's not just my story or my experience so if it involves grace or if it involves other people i will check in with them sure that yeah. i'm not just sort of yeah 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 i don't know yeah. being uh unfair or yeah sure yeah no it's beautiful i mean it is beautiful and i i I still don't really know why it affects me as deeply as it does but it does uh so thank you for that okay um and and just talking about those kind of issues mental health or you know trying to have a baby and all those sort of things i mean this is the mid-faith crisis podcast i don't know whether you describe yourself as a man of faith or not and how much faith has either helped or hindered in those more difficult times for you what what would you say about that yeah i i grew up in a christian context and i grew up going Mm. to church and that was a lot of my friendships and Mm. even my school was a church of england school and looking back on it the th- and i would i'd still call myself a person mm. of faith mm. uh and looking back on it the thing that i was most grateful for was having as a teenager four or five male friends who i was very close with mm. who i was also very vulnerable with 
And I think that came from the fact that we had a language of, can you pray for me about this thing? Mm. Which was a way of saying, I'm finding this thing hard and I'm asking for help. And whether mm. or not you can do anything physically, the mm. act of praying for me is whether yeah. you're a person of faith or not, that is someone saying, I'm I'm thinking about you yeah. and I'm trying to yeah. hold this space with you and I'm doing something that I think yeah. will help. And so it was only later on going to university and beyond that I would make other friendships mm. where I would expect it to go to that deeper level at some point. And it it didn't quite happen as naturally. And so mm. it was only looking back on it that I think uh, a cornerstone of my faith is that combination of creativity and vulnerability. And mm. I think actually, I think my faith is probably strongest when things are hard and and mm. hopefully not in a sense of just that's when I remember to ask for help <laughs> in terms of yeah, sure. wanting to not be alone in those things and mm. and whether that is praying in a in a personal capacity more often i think it is a sense of gathering with friends and yeah you know even something as simple as as last year on new year's eve we gathered with a group of friends and went around sharing our high points and the low points of the year and mm. that was something i i grew up doing in our family yeah and and i right. really really Great. Yeah. cherished but doing it as a group of friends some of whom had had really tough years and being able to hold that space and be an absolute bits together but then also to to know that you're held and to then have a concept of of hope or of of where mm. do we go from here i've yeah. always found really valuable and so i think that side of my faith i've, I've always really appreciated mm. and mm. i guess the other thing i would say in terms of the creativity aspect when i was at uni I guess growing up, my youth group, looking back on it, it was very uh, enthusiastic. And so when we went to university, we were given this almost warning of don't be too tempted by all of these things and make sure you get in there with other Christian friends to keep yeah. each other safe in this yeah. very sort of hedonistic world. And I think it came from good intentions, but I think it was quite harmful and poor mm. advice in mm. terms of how it was received by a bunch of us because i got mm. to uni and the guy next to me wasn't a christian but is one of my best friends to date and yeah. the christian union was much more conservative than the faith that i was brought up in and I the idea it. that yeah, i was supposed sure. to just like muck in with these guys because we were in the same club and forget the other people yeah. because they weren't was the opposite of of what I believe faith right. should be. Wow! Yeah. And so, I, I, but I struggle with this because I had this mm. idea that you had to go to church and that was your people and you had to find your people. Yeah. And it was only a couple of years in, I had this conversation with a youth worker from one of the churches where I had gone to their church weekend away and I'd left early because I had to do a gig on the Sunday night. And I was almost right. confessing to him that I felt closer to God at that evening's poetry gig than I did at the Sunday yeah. morning worship that had also been. At. Yeah. And I was sort of borderline repenting for this. <laughs> and without skipping a beat, he said, well, that's obvious because you're in touch with God, the creator. And great. he saw the act of being creative as a worshipful act. And it isn't yeah. 
you know, it. Yeah. I'm not a great terrific. singer. That's probably why I do poems. But, you know, so singing yeah. songs in church for me isn't a place where I yeah. feel like I can let go. Whereas going to a gig and listening to music, that's absolutely a, a communal yeah. spiritual experience. And so yeah. it, it massively yeah. varies person to person. But I think the idea that your faith can be personal and it can be interpersonal, but it doesn't have to be the same institutional thing for everyone Yeah, was something that, was lacking in that initial conversation sure. the youth group I was in. Yeah, amazing. Oh, thank you for that. Thanks, Shane. Listen, how do you spend your time now? What What does a day in the life of Harry Baker look like? I mean, I get going to a gig in an evening, but uh, what else? Uh, it varies. And this is one of the yeah. things I loved about it. I yeah. When I made the decision to, to try and do poetry full-time, I told myself if it ever stopped feeling exciting or fun, I would rather it go back to being a hobby mm. and I do something else for my main main job. But I think what's kept me going is the fact that some days I go into schools and I do performances and workshops and get them to write their own poems. And yeah. currently today I spent my time trying to like write some lyrics for a song for a musical that I'm working with some other people. And so that's a lot more collaborative. And then other days it is going for a run along the beach in, in Margate. And so terrific. last year I went to the Edinburgh Fringe and did this massive tour and loved Mm. it. And that was the first time since COVID that it felt like being in those places and connecting and coming to life, you know, like a flower being watered. (laughs) And so Knowing that one extreme, this year I've purposefully taken some time out to be able to write some new stuff and and just live enough of a life to yeah to be able to connect with people and to be yeah. able to then write about because you went into railing right with yeah. your wife yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean exactly. I was I mean we just loved the travel log you did for oh, us. Thank I won't you. ask you to do it all but it was yeah. absolutely brilliant and um, hilariously funny um, it's interesting I I read a quote the other day and I'm going to butcher it and not Mm. attribute it to the right person because I've forgotten, but it was something along the lines of the project isn't to make art. The project is to live in a wonderful state. So the art becomes inevitable. That's great. And I think I struggled a lot during lockdown because I couldn't go beyond Mm. my four walls. And my way of responding to that was to think I'm going to double down and I'm going to try and write loads of stuff to show that I've used my time well, and I'm going to mm. share that online and try and connect with people at a time when mm. we can't really connect. But all of that was me in denial of the fact that mm. I was massively struggling without mm. having that connection. And I was trying to find that silver lining, but sure. I had to first acknowledge that it was difficult and, and I did massively find it difficult. And so only coming out of that, do I realize how much I value that day to day and that, yeah having meals with friends is one of my favorite things to do oh me too me so, too i often think yeah there's 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 two really intimate things you can do you can have sex and then you can have meals with people and i've found that my wife prefers if i only have sex with her so yeah <laughs> so so that leaves eating with people and i love it and you know like i will not have a meeting without eating because that's just organizational and and dull but it's so wonderful we have a little group here called soul place and you know we always eat together and and very often dare i say that's the most meaningful part of the evening that's where the action really happens love it 
Love it. Well, you're always welcome for a meal here, just to say. Uh, next that. time you're down Worthing Way, you've got relatives down here, haven't you? Yes, my yeah. my aunt lives in Worthing. Brilliant. And she is a fellow sort of sea swimmer. So often oh, throughout great. the winter, we will oh, communicate via shivery photos. <laughs> that is impressive. Brilliant. I used to live in Gillingham in Kent, but we went to Margate for days out. Come on. Wife. Dreamland, come on. Yeah. It can't still be open, is it? Or is yeah. it? Yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah. Dreamland's still, still there. Still wow. got the wooden roller coaster. Fabulous. Uh, and but they now do gigs there. So it's now this amazing oh, really? sort of combination oh. of, of the old and the new. Wow. Who knew? It must be time for another poem, isn't it? Absolutely. What do you uh, think? This one I will do. This is the first poem I wrote coming out of that period of lockdown. And, okay. and after having gone to therapy and acknowledged that I was I was struggling, mm. writing for the fun of it and for the joy of it again spark something in me so this poem is all about wellies i love wellies that is a statement of fact footwear designed for making a splash no need for showing off status or cash no laces or faff just i like big boots and i cannot lie these babies got back on first glance, as basic as paying your tax shit, that's still more outrageous than Bezos can hack. They are sensible, functional, playful, and fab. Put them up against tennis shoes, it's game, set, and match. They just do what they do. No overthink to their thunk. All soul and no tongue, like a Tibetan monk. It's as if the Dalai Lama's dabbling as a farmer. They can outbalance New Balance or Balenciaga. From barnyards through to festivals, so grand is their appeal. The only footwear guaranteed to be outstanding in its field where veteran shoemakers may disagree. I think it's worth a mention. It's just a load of old cobblers, so pay them no attention. You could be winging it or wanging it. The welly is the one. If you've got booties on your footies, chances are you're having fun because any welly-based activity is celebrating life. You don't wear wellies to a funeral, though I might ask you to for mine. They are a statement piece. That statement is, I don't want soggy feet. And beyond that, they can be anything that you want them to be. So to my godson, who's got some or covered in dinosaurs, or my niece who underneath her knees has nothing but unicorns. As you grow older and the world begins to open up to you, you might expect that is reflected in your choice of welly boot well for the ladies. We're maybe looking for a fun design. I have seen bumblebees or daisies or some multicolor stripes for the fellas. Do you want to make your mark upon the scene? The options are a fetching black or an incredibly dark green. Because what could be more masculine than blending in with dirt? Like if you don't see me, you might not see I'm filled with pain and hurt. And if you don't conform to gender norms or simply try to ignore them, if you're anything above size six, you're destined to be boring. So if they're just going to get muddy, what's the point of even trying? Why have dreams and just like us that only going to end up dying if you never dip your toe in? There is no concern with drying who needs waterproofs. You can simply stop yourself from crying. I mean, God forbid that one might have a form of self-expression. Why not blend in instead with one in eight that have depression? Why be happy when you could be a statistic or a lesson? Why do anything ever if it starts to make you question? If we protect ourselves from all those risky things emotions do. It can be easy to forget that joy is an emotion too. So is heartbreak. So is grief. So is happiness and rage. There's a whole spectrum that we miss out on if we don't engage. And I am angry. And I've tried so very hard to hold it in. And I am lonely. And I've tried so very hard to hold it in. And I am tired. 
And I've tried very hard to hold it in. But we are not wellies made with an impermeable skin. You see, it did not do me good to do it in a field of deepest green. When it's a basic human need to simply feel like you've been seen. And so even if this world insists it's safer to be duller, I would rather take the risk and live life playfully in color. Sure enough, last Christmas morning, wrapped up underneath the tree, a pair of size 10 welly boots as bright and yellow as can be. They bring a whole new meaning to saving up for a rainy day because if the skies are gray, be walking on sunshine either way and when it's messy and it's muddy and i don't know where to begin i still rather be out in the rain than trying to rein it in and if i ever go on dragon's den this poem is my pitch but until then next time you'll see me as i'm climbing out that ditch <laughs> thank you oh man that is great thank you so much now listen um you're kind of a big deal. Um, I, I seem to remember you saying, that's my favourite line from Anchorman, uh, you, uh, you, you, did you not write the world's best poem once? On, on a technicality, I did, yes. Yeah. So it's through these poetry slams, and I love yeah. them because yeah. uh, anyone could rock up. It's like an open mic, but you could win. Yeah. And I think the mathematician in me liked counting the scores. And so I grew up in London, became the London Slam champion, so invited to go to... UK championship and then to go to France for the Poetry World Cup. And it was incredible because everyone was performing in different languages mm. and everyone there knew that the slam side of it was basically a gimmick to have an excuse to gather people from all of these different places. But it means mm. that the audience are, are more invested in it and more engaged mm. and they're sort of trying to work out who they want to win. And so on the day I a poem I performed got got the most points. And so ever since then, I've claimed that technically speaking, it is the best poem in the world, <laughs> according to five French people. But they <laughs> remain my favourite French people. Yeah. If people want to get a hold of that poem, how can they do it? Uh, it's called Paper People. And that one, uh, one of the reasons I was able to do the poetry full time is in my final year of uni, uh, I did a TED talk and it included that poem and a love poem all about prime numbers. And I thought that oh, that was too that. niche, but it mm. turns out that is what the world needed. And so they <laughs> shared that on their website. And so there's still a TED talk that's called a love poem for lonely prime numbers. That's got that and the paper people poem and another one in it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, you're all, there's lots of YouTubes of you and your friend. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So my friend Chris, we perform as Harry and Chris, and we've got some albums on Spotify and Apple Music, and then Solo, there's lots of stuff on YouTube. And I've just put the Welly poem up on my Instagram and TikTok. Right. So if people want to yeah. see that, that's the sort of So if people want to find you, uh, what's what's the address? How do they do uh, that? So my website is harrybaker.co, nice. uh, and that's got links to tour dates, and then Harry Baker Poets on various social media. I'm always sort of posting what I'm up to. Brilliant. Well, listen, I, I I think you will get some new followers. I hope you will coming out of this. We have absolutely loved it when you've come to Worthing. We try and catch you every time. Um, my daughter wishes it to be said that she is a great fangirl. Oh, um, appreciate it. My son is a huge uh, fan of dinosaurs. There was a dinosaur at his wedding. Come we on. Did a, we did a great, we did my favourite ever wedding photo actually for him. I'll have to show it you. It's like everyone running away and screaming and they... 
kind of uh, you know superimposed a, yeah, a yeah, T-Rex yeah, yeah. chasing them all. It was beautiful. It is the greatest wedding photo. Anyway, listen, Harry, you are an absolute joy. I, I love the gift. I love what you bring to the world. It is a better place for you and your poetry. There is no doubt about that. Thank you. Let's let's finish with something. I'll let you take this wherever you want. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, so this poem is called Unashamed, and it's the poem that I named my last tour after, uh, but also last year I brought out a new book of poems uh, and and this was the title one. And I think, again, in terms of why I love poetry, I think it's ability to, to express these things that are within us or that we didn't know were within us. And so this poem came out of a conversation I had with a friend who'd had a very similar experience to me during lockdown of losing yourself. And I think if you're in that place or if I'm in that place, it's easy to think that you're never coming back. Uh, yeah. And he used a phrase that was, he felt like he had to edit himself to fit in with other people. Um, and I used to worry a lot about fitting in. And these days I'm far more excited about filling out and trying to be the best version of yourself that you can be. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think a, a way of doing that is is friendship and is vulnerability and is support, whether that is from yeah. your faith community or otherwise. Um, so this poem is called Unashamed. And it's for anyone who who feels like they might need it in this moment. It's not your job to make sure others feel more comfortable. You need not dull your glow and the hope they might see. You need not water down your core to be more palatable. May you be the you that you need you to be, unashamed. We cannot help how others see us, though we may well try our hardest. How we see ourselves can free ourselves to be ourselves regardless. Home is where you can be open-hearted. Whether trapped or trapeze artist, all comes down to how we're harnessed and trying to free my roots. Like playing past the parcel, packed with parcels when the music stops and no one's watching, will you keep on dancing? Let us decorate and garnish any reputations tarnished because despite it's all, I still fancy our chances. Let us not file away our edges in an effort to be smooth. When the records show the denser, how we get into that groove, all that energy invested in the editing of you will hope one day you'll let it loose and let me be there when you do. Because in the moment when you're gaslit for a second or two, I could have sworn I caught a glimpse and I saw heaven in you, unashamed. Unless you're Senator or Ghana, there's no point adopting layers when the heart of you is the part of you that's blazing. And others may have tried to hide your lights. You may have joined in this yourself, but joy of joys, the joy of joys that shall not be overwhelmed. You could be static or your static could cause lightning storms. Whether it's lions or it's iron or your core contains all types of raw, that friction that you feel is an igniting force. So light the torch. If we can't see it in ourselves, then what is brightness for? We do those closest to us a disservice. If we only ever let them see the small of us. If we can open up enough to let them get beneath the surface, there's so much more to love. If we can show them all of us, the flaws in us, the force of us, the full on awe of us, the rise and fall of us, the wise and fall in us, yes, all of us, the fine and coarse of us, the fine print in the claws of us, the fire imprinted in our blood as they course in us, it's all in us, so call it what you want, there's something calling us. And I have caught enough of you to know that you're enough. Any boxes they may try and stop you with. Instead of building up a fort, let's make a rocket ship. Treat them as photos, not negatives developed into positives, but nothing when the simplest snapshots of things. Because all those best bits of your story are still yet to be unfurled. 
You are the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly that flaps which is the cause of an earthquake halfway around the world. You are amazing. And if they try to rain on your parade, let it remind you how much fun it is to party while it's raining. May you take up space and stay there unashamed. Thank you so much for having me. Harry Baker, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Bless you, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I thought that was wonderful. Uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, you are, you are such a good interviewer, mate. Oh, you really are. Thanks. I do like listening to your interviews. I mean, admittedly, most of the time it sounds like they're done in a toilet, but you've got better over the last few <laughs> uh, episodes thanks. in terms of audio quality. That's very good. And I thought it was great. Really interesting. He's, he's an interesting guy. I genuinely cried at the end of trying again. I can't believe it. I've only heard the poem twice. And I cried both times. So I thought I'd be all right. I don't know what it is about that. It gets me. It gets me big time. I should reflect on it and tell you next week. Um, I love the yeah. line about having three amazing godsons and one other godson. <laughs> it's good. It's good. <laughs> well, I mean, I thought there was a lot yeah. of what he was saying. I really enjoyed stuff he said about prayer, yes. actually, and about it being the language of vulnerability. I thought that's... That's really opened up something for me in prayer because often in mid-faith crisis we think, "What's the point of prayer?" And you know, yeah. we've 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 had many episodes where we talked about intercessory prayer mm. and all this kind of stuff. But prayer as a way of being vulnerable and open with one another. Yeah, I love that. I think that's that's really powerful and rich. Yeah, yeah I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah, me yeah. too. I thought that was great, and I loved his his thought that the act of being creative is in itself a worshipful act. So don't don't go feeling guilty that you you feel closer connected to God in a poetry thing or a gig or anything than you do in a Sunday morning. That's fine. It's it's the act of creativity is in itself worshipful. I thought that was lovely. Yeah. Well, you could say it's it's the primary act in a way. Mm. You know, I mean, the first encounter we have with God in the Bible, He is creating, and. Uh, so before we know anything else yeah. really about God in terms of the Bible, we know that God is creator. And and I do think that's what it is, part of what it is to be made in his yeah. image. That's why humanity is so creative, yeah. I think. It's because actually we're made in his image. So, you know, I, I found that that really yeah. good. Uh, yeah. And I mean, there's lots to talk about. Maybe we'll come back in uh, next week because I'd really like to dig into mm. what he was saying about making art because he, he said this he said uh, or it was a kind of a quote from somebody else the project isn't to make art it's to live in a way so that art becomes yeah, inevitable yeah. and and i i think there are big links between that and discipleship mm. and how how that works Ooh. out and i'd like to sort of explore wow. those okay a bit yeah in in in, a, in the next episode but for now i think we should probably uh, wrap up because it's a it's a long interview, but it's yeah, very good. Yeah, well, well done. Thank you. And listen, do follow him. Um, you can watch more of his uh, poems on YouTube. That's worth doing. But follow him at his website and, um, you know, on Insta, whatever is your thing uh, or X. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll put all those links up on the website and in the show notes um, to the podcast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can see that. Thank you very much for listening as yeah. ever. Um Thank you to everyone who supports the yeah. show. If you wish to do that, you can do that at midfaithcrisis.org. Um, thank, thank you to everyone who contributes, who sends emails yeah. and comments yeah. and recommendations. Very helpful. Uh, yeah. We love all 17. We do. Well, 18. Thank you to Ken as well. 
I, oh, yeah, it's I don't know if he made yeah, it through this whole episode, but welcome to Ken. And listen, thank you, everyone. Uh, it means so much. And thank you for all your kind emails and everything else. Bless you. <laughs>